If you've ever tried to lose weight, there's a pretty solid chance that you've been told all that matters is if you burn more calories than you consume. Now, I'm guilty of giving this advice, especially during my early days as a personal trainer. (laughs) Woof, woof, what a time. The fitness industry is ruthless when it comes to giving unsolicited nutrition advice, especially those that are uncredentialed, including myself when I was a trainer. And I mean, this is really easy advice to give because it feels like a no-brainer. And it, it really does seem innocent when you are trying to help someone lose weight. I mean, it, it's just simple math, right? Theoretically, it makes sense that you would lose weight if your calories in is lower than your calories out. So what's the issue here? Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths, because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly, here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. Welcome back to another episode of Hangry Thoughts. I'm your host, Abby, and today's episode is a very, very debated topic in the space of nutrition, fitness, and wellness. It's about calories in versus calories out. Now, I think it's really important that I give a lot of my own experience professionally and personally when it comes to this topic. Because as we talked in the intro, there is so much misunderstanding about weight loss, especially when it comes to calories in versus calories out. We really do think as a society, or especially as fitness or nutrition professionals, that this is the main no-brainer advice that we quote unquote, should be giving to our clients or to our followers on social media. Now, as I said, I am guilty of giving this advice. I I will not shy away from that. And when I look back on my days as a personal trainer, especially those early days while I was still, you know, in school to be a dietitian, but don't get that confused with being a student versus an actual nutrition professional, And I was giving my clients this advice. Clients would come up to me in the personal training setting and go, hey, here are my goals. Almost all of the time, one of those goals would include weight loss. And I'm feeling really confused on the nutrition front. I feel like I'm doing all of the things that I quote unquote should be doing when it comes to exercise. I'm showing up to the gym. I'm working hard on my workouts, but I am not seeing any changes. So what's going on here? And in my brain, I'm like, duh, it's obvious that abs are made in the kitchen. So let's figure this out. And I I would overhear other personal trainers giving this advice too. 
And this is really where macro counting has come to, into play, um, where just tracking calories has come into play, and all of these fitness apps that we have now. So like our Apple Watch or the Health app or Fitbits. All of these things are kind of furthering this messaging of calories in versus calories out is this end-all be-all when it comes to your weight changing, weight loss, weight gain, weight maintenance. Now, <laughs> let me be so transparent with you guys. I, in my first one to two years of being a trainer, probably the first two years, I'd say, was toxic as fuck. Okay, so freaking toxic because, I mean, I was wrapped up in my own issues with eating and body image and exercise. And so how could that not come through when my job was to teach people about exercise and I'm going to school for nutrition and my whole personality at this time was was around my body and my body image because my value that I had and my worth was so tied in to my body. Like there wasn't, there, there wasn't any space for the two to coexist. It was, we are together, we are one. Now, this was a big problem. And I don't want to say that all personal trainers struggle with this because that is not true by any means. But I have met several trainers in the past who have also struggled with this. And I think that this makes a lot of sense. There is a lot of misinformation surrounding nutrition in the fitness industry. And that is only, it only becomes exponentially worse when social media comes into into the game. You know what I'm saying? When social media starts to become present in these conversations with, you know, how do we lose weight, right? What is the most scientifically proven, um, effective, sustainable way to lose weight. That is where there are a lot of disagreements that come up on social media. And the biggest one that I see is surrounding the calories in versus calories out. We have a lot of personal trainers that that is like their Bible. They're like calories in versus calories out all day, motherfucking long. And then we have dietitians that may also be saying that. And that's where some of us start to go, well, fuck, like, is this true? Is this what I'm going off of? And that's what we're going to really uncover today. Before we get to that, though, I do want to share some of my own personal experiences within calories in versus calories out. Because like I said, this was something that I, I, I lived by for years. Now, in this same beat, there's also a lot of conversation of, well, the reason why you're not eating or the reason why you're not losing weight is because you're not eating enough. And I recently just saw a TikTok with someone saying, well, actually, Americans are all overeating. So that is just not true. So you actually do need to eat less and move more. And it's like, oh, because this is such an oversimplification. So now when I was competing in bodybuilding, my whole meal plan, prep, competition, it was all revolved around counting macros. And so I had a coach that would send me macros, lay out, 
you know, the day for me, the week for me, we would do carb cycling, meaning some days we would eat less carbs, some days we'd eat more carbs. And the thing that I really feel for, for past Abby was, and I distinctly remember this, my coach had told me, now I am not a dietitian. I am a personal trainer. I don't have education in nutrition, but this is what's worked for me and this is what's worked for other clients. And so these are the macros that we're going to use. Now there's a couple problems with this. The first is obvious that there's no license or credentialing to give this person the ability to give someone macros or nutrition advice. And the second, which I would argue is probably even more harmful, is to start this out by saying this worked for me and it worked for others. Because now I am already put, before anything's even began, in this position of, will that mean that it, it means it must work for me or else? Because if it doesn't work for me, then what's wrong with me? Why didn't my body respond to these macros like it did yours or your other clients? What am I not doing right? Am I not being perfect enough? Am I not putting in the work? Am I lazy? Like those were the kinds of thoughts that I would have. And it all started of what really was an innocent statement from my coach. Because I, I don't think at the end of the day that she had any ill intention. I think that she did truly think that she was helping me. And in that time, you know, maybe she was. Okay, I'm at a very different point in my life than I was then. But I share this because that's where it starts. The things that we talk about with our friends and our family when it comes to food, body image, movement, it can stick. And we don't always know the impact of our statements in the present, right? Like sometimes these things can sit with us and ruminate a bit. And then years down the line, we go, whoa, that was the thing that really stuck with me. And for me, it's that comment from my coach. And so we would do these weigh-ins throughout, you know, the week while I was competing in bodybuilding, which again is a very extreme sport. And it, it's very different for the general population that's looking at weight loss or, you know, pretty much any other type of athlete. Bodybuilding is really its own genre of intensity. And if my weight wasn't changing in the way that my coach wanted it to or thought that it should based on whatever date the show was, there would automatically be this slash to my calories or significant change to my macros without really giving my body any time to adapt or even to let my body just slow the fuck down because my god was I pushing my body to the ground at this point there were times with this calories in versus calories out method or in that same note counting macros that yeah I, I did lose weight but there were even more times where I didn't. And there were even more times that I felt really shitty during the process. And quite frankly, looking back at those days that I was counting my food, 
measuring my food, portioning out my food, um, having to share this information too with a coach who then would judge what I was doing and then tell me what I needed to do better or what wasn't working so we needed to change it, just how freaking exhausting that really was and how taxing it was on my mental, emotional, and physical health. Yet at the time, I thought that this was necessary in order to be a quote-unquote fit, healthy person. So with all of that being said, in this episode, we are going to look into the ways and the scientific facts surrounding calories in versus calories out to help you make more of an informed consent and if this is something that you truly want to fit into your lifestyle. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. A 2022 study revealed what Americans believe to prevent them from losing weight. The results are 24% dislike exercise, 22% feel like they don't have time to exercise, and 46% believe their metabolism is working against them. In a 2018 report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, shared about half of Americans are trying to lose weight at any given time. The majority use means of eating less and exercising more to attempt weight loss. So the calories in, calories out formula for weight loss is tragically flawed, spoiler alert, because it oversimplifies the complex process of calculating energy intake and expenditure. Even if you are using all of the tracking apps, measuring your heart rate, uh, measuring your food, everything, a whole kit and caboodle. More importantly, it fails to consider the mechanisms our bodies trigger to counteract a reduction in energy intake. How many times have you been told weight loss isn't complicated or just track your calories and wear a fitness tracker? I know that this was common advice that I was giving during my hardcore gym girl days and personal training days. And I was actually talking with my best friend this week about this podcast episode. And what's what's funny and also not funny because <laughs> diet culture is such an all-inclusive experience that we all seem to be a part of, she immediately recalled the first time that she was given this advice. And I realized something. I did too. And then I began to wonder how many other people, especially women, have been made to feel like it really is just that simple. Weight loss is really super easy. We should all just be able to do it at the drop of a hat. And I want to rewind back to 2015, 2016, my freshman year of college. I was no longer in competitive sports. I was going through big life changes while, you know, I was beginning college, and as I've shared before, I was struggling with an eating disorder. And my major concerns were, one, how do I work out on my own to have the best body I can have? And two, how do I eat to lose weight? That was it. That Those were my main focuses. I remember sitting in my dorm room watching YouTube videos for hours on end, and each video regarding something, including fitness or nutrition. And some of the big time names during this time were Taylor Chamberlain, Heidi Summers or Buff Bunny, Nikki Blackketter, um, 
Christian Guzman, Max Chunin. These were the people that I was watching. And one of my fave influencers at the time was Taylor Chamberlain, who is now the owner of Balance Athletica, or now I believe it's Vitality. And she was beginning her bikini bikini competitions within bodybuilding. And her life, to me, seemed perfect. And I so badly wanted to be her. From her YouTube videos to her Instagram, she just seemed like she had it all. And I felt really connected to her as well because when she was starting her time on YouTube, she was also in school to be a dietitian. She was finishing up school while I was starting school to be a dietitian. And she was also working part-time as a personal trainer. I was working part-time as a personal trainer. And so I was like, this is me. This is me. She is me. I wanted to have her job, discipline, seemingly perfect fitness routine, diet, the ideal body, everything, everything, everything. I don't exactly remember why I felt the urge to email Taylor, but I do remember this feeling of if I could be just like her, everything will be fixed. April 28th, 2016. The email reads, Hey Taylor, my name is Abby Roberts and I just wanted to tell you that you've been a big inspiration to me lately. I started following you on Instagram a while ago and saw that you had a YouTube channel. I just watched your video on your fitness journey and it really opened up my eyes. My freshman year in college is just coming to an end and I've been really struggling this year. I could relate to a lot of the things you said in your video about your eating habits and pushing people away. I've always been fit and loved exercising, but I've never been happy with my body. I'm working hard to change my mindset, but as you probably know, that isn't an easy thing to do. I'm becoming more and more interested in bikini competitions, but I think that I need to be in a better mindset before I take on that journey. Thank you for being so positive on social media and being an inspiration. You rock. Best, Abby Roberts. Mm. Newsflash. I began prepping for my first competition two months after sending this email. Now, to her credit, she did respond back. It wasn't anything remarkably deep, as I'm sure she was probably and still does receive hundreds, if not like thousands of emails daily. And... I know she created her social media out of a kind-hearted place and truly just wanting to help people in their health and fitness journey. However, my eating disorder brain would only hear what it wanted to hear. And the main thing that jumped out to me in her response was this. Take it day by day and love yourself in the process. I know it's easier said than done, but over time, accepting yourself for who you are and knowing that you are more than what's on the outside will change you completely. Now, again, I know her intentions were kind and I am not bashing her for this. I still think Taylor Chamberlain is like this amazing businesswoman and is doing all the things. She's very successful. My brain immediately made the connection here of the only way I can love myself is if I cut calories further and eat and work out like she does. And then I'll feel the way that she does about her body. Right. I was like, boom, 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 boom. That's it. Of course, Taylor came out later on her social media and she shared that she has struggled with an eating disorder and over-exercising, but in 2016, that wasn't shared yet. And so all I viewed of her was this perfect, healthy, ideal lifestyle that I should strive to have. 
calories in versus calories out is an age-old weight loss recommendation. It's easy to see the appeal of breaking weight loss down into a simple math equation, right? Just follow it to a T and you'll be successful. That's it. That's it. It's also believable because many people do lose weight when they first adopt this approach. As with many fad diets, the diet industry's reliance on this concept is partly fueled by the shame it places on individuals for being overweight and diet culture saying anyone can follow a simple energy formula. You're only overweight because you don't have the willpower to eat less and exercise more. Instead of questioning diet culture, we inherently feel and internalize the shame and guilt thinking my diet isn't the problem. I am. The diet is supposed to work. It's me that's not working properly or, or doing enough or I'm lazy. The desire to change our body and diet is fueled once again, which many of us know is a tireless cycle. There are many factors that are involved in energy expenditure, and this is a small part of the reason as to why calories in versus calories out is so nuanced and and doesn't necessarily work. So the four factors of this are are exercise activity, thermogenesis, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, thermic effect of food, and resting metabolic rate. So in our exercise activity, this is the energy utilized during plan exercise, and it's determined by factors like frequency, intensity, duration, and type of exercise. Our NEAT, or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, is the energy utilized during incidental exercise, including daily steps, fidgeting, determined largely by energy available, and this can fluctuate up by uh, 60% between individuals. The thermic effect of food, or the TEF, is the energy utilized during digestion and absorption of food. So it's determined by factors such as meal composition and hydration. And then our RMR, the resting metabolic rate, is utilized in essential bodily functions like breathing, circulation, determined by things of body composition, body mass, energy availability, sleep, hormonal profile, and training status. So that's a lot. That's a lot just within energy expenditure. Now, before we get into the reasons more so as to why calories in versus calories out doesn't work, please keep this in mind. If you've ever started a diet and couldn't stick to it or ended up regaining the weight, you're not alone. You are not alone. Research shares that 85% of dieters regain more weight than when they started their diet. So what does that mean and why is it important? Well, it means that this isn't a matter of the vast majority being lazy, having no willpower, or lacking discipline to lose and keep weight off. It's a matter of participating in a system that is set up for failure to keep you coming back. And it doesn't care about your health. The diet industry is worth $72.6 billion and growing. The global weight loss products and services market is expected to grow from, uh, this number like makes me so disgusted, $275.97 billion in 2022 to two, almost $300 billion in 2023. 
the weight loss products and services market is expected to reach 415.95 billion in 2027. If they didn't have repeat customers, this monopoly would tank. So why do we feel like we're the failure when a diet fails? Here are three biological changes that occur in response to dieting. Number one, neurologic changes. Dieters are more likely to notice food, especially tasty looking food, and food registers as more appetizing, tempting, and rewarding. Not surprisingly, studies have shown that when distracted, dieters consistently ate more than non-dieters. They've also noted that the distraction only seems to increase the intake of the dieters, but not the dieter, the non-dieters. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when we are restricting ourselves from food, mentally or physically, physical restriction is that act of not having the food around us, keeping it out of the house, not allowing ourselves to eat it when it's present. And mental restriction is more of this, I shouldn't eat that, I can't have that, and, and telling ourselves what we can and cannot do and labeling foods as good versus bad. It's doing the opposite of what we want it to be doing. Because neurologically, our body is predisposed to want to eat food. Because food is necessary to survive, to live. We need food in order to carry out biologic processes. We need food to survive, to function, to think, to breathe, for our heart to pump, for regulation, for hormone balance, so many things. And we are not failures for wanting to eat food. The second one is hormonal changes, and this one is a big one. So in response to calorie restriction and weight loss, we see our leptin levels, which is our satiety hormone, along with other hormones like PYY, CCK, insulin, and aniline, drop. And this poses a challenge as they all play a role in, in inhibiting food intake when we are in our fed state. The other hormone, ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone, on the other hand, is increased during calorie restriction. This means that we're more likely to feel hungry and less likely to feel full given the same amount of food as those who are dieting versus non-dieters. So ghrelin, our hunger hormone, is produced in the stomach and is sending that signal to our brain saying, hey, we're hungry, give us food. Whereas leptin is that hormone that is stored in our fat cells that helps with those feelings of fullness and satiety. There have been studies that show that a hypocaloric diet or a lower calorie diet that induces weight loss produces a coordinated decrease in our leptin levels, so we feel less full and satisfied, and then increases our ghrelin levels, so we're becoming more and more hungry because our body wants us to eat. And number three, metabolic changes. So in efforts to keep us safe, our body slows down our metabolism and starts to use calories in a more efficient way. While this is a good thing to help prevent us from starving to death, it directly undermines our efforts to lose weight. So in other words, as the body finds a way to run on fewer calories, there may be more calories left over in which they may be turned to be stored as fat. So what about calories in versus calories out specifically? Well, I have, oh my gosh, 
I, I can't even count how many bullet points are many bullet points on this. So number one, it's nearly impossible to calculate accurately. If we think about my fitness pal, simply entering sex, age, height, weight, and an estimation of activity levels, maybe sometimes there's a guesstimate of body composition. I don't believe my fitness pal even asks for that, but if they ask for it, you know, this seems effortless. Okay. I'm entering all this information and now all of a sudden it's going to give me the perfect numbers to hit my goals. After we enter that information, the app then has capabilities to tell us exactly how many calories we should eat daily if we want to lose, maintain, or gain weight. Unfortunately, no matter how accurate these calculators claim to be, they rely on averages and they can't determine the calorie intake appropriate for you with 100% accuracy. This can only be an estimate. Similarly, our metabolic rate, how much energy we burn at rest, also varies from person to person, and that's based on numerous factors, including body composition or how much muscle and fat we have. So to even complicate things further, our metabolic rate also alters when we change our diet and lose weight. So there's a lot of things at play. Going back to this um, guesstimate or even entering exact body composition, the thing with this is a lot of us might go to our gym and step on the in body for body composition, or maybe your personal trainer is doing like the calipers, like the skin fold test. Now, even this has a margin of error for the skin fold, the calipers, there's human margin of error. Um, for the in body, that also is very determinant on what time of day you did it, if that's the same as the last time of day, if you worked out before, after, how hydrated you are, the last thing you ate, how much you ate, if you were fed one time versus fasted the second time, all of this is going to skew the results. And it's not perfect. The second one that I have is slowing our metabolism. When we reduce our calorie intake to lose weight, we also lose muscle and fat because we can't pinpoint which one is being lost. So this decrease in body mass results in an expected decrease in metabolic rate, but there is a further 15% decrease in metabolism beyond what we can account for, further disrupting the calories in versus calories out equation. Even after we regain lost weight, our metabolism doesn't recover right away. And I found a really interesting study called the persistent metabolic adaptation six years after the biggest loser competition on this exact subject. We've seen how the longer we diet, the harder it is to lose weight again and keep it off. Our thyroid gland also misfires when we try to restrict food intake and we have fewer hormones that are secreted, also changing the equation by reducing the energy we burn at rest. Because again, our body's main concern is to keep you alive and healthy. It's not concerned about society's aesthetic standards when it comes to body composition and body weight, shape, and size. The third here that I wrote is energy sources. When we reduce our energy intake and start losing weight, our body switches from using fat as an energy source during rest or low impact movement to carbohydrates and holds onto its fat, resulting in energy being burned at rest. And I know what you're thinking, 
No, we cannot trick our body into thinking it's not depleted or use certain energy sources for energy at specific times. If we're training fasted, if we're training, you know, right after we ate breakfast, if we're eating a certain thing before, after, these things are so minuscule in the grand scheme of things. And we still need to make sure that we are eating enough. The fourth one, adrenal gland functions. Our adrenal gland manages the hormone cortisol, which we all kind of know as something that's released when there's response to stress, right? So something like calorie restriction is very stressful on the body and cortisol can be released. When there's excess cortisol production and its presence in our blood changes how our bodies process, store, and burn fat, there is an increase in fasting desire to eat hunger and prospective food consumption that we observe when there are studies done on calorie or food restriction and rising cortisol levels. Because again, our body wants us to eat. Our bodies also cleverly trigger responses aimed at increasing our calorie intake to regain lost weight. And so this includes adjusting our appetite hormones. So again, that ghrelin and leptin, when we reduce our calorie intake and deprive our bodies of food, our hormones are going to work a little differently. We might suppress more feelings of fullness to tell our bodies to eat more. More of that ghrelin gets released and stimulates the brain. Our brain also starts to function differently. When our calorie intake reduces, activity in our hypothalamus, the part of our brain that regulates emotion and food intake, reduces, decreasing our control and judgment over our food choices. In another episode, I shared that hunger fullness scale. So when we have this fullness, hunger fullness scale, I'd like to think of it as a one to 10. One being we're starving, we need food now, might be feeling some of that nausea, um, lightheadedness, dizziness. We're extremely hungry. There's like hunger pains going on. A five is we're very neutral. Might just be following a meal or a snack, neither hungry nor full. And a 10 is I am so stuffed right now. I might also be feeling nauseous, having some side cramps, kind of bloated. I'm uncomfortable. And so when we are in this state of our body is deprived or we're restricting food, we typically reach a one on that hunger scale. And if we think of this like a pendulum, that pendulum is going to swing over to that 10 when we start to eat because our body is wanting us to get as much nutrition as we possibly can in that moment. It doesn't know the next time we're going to allow it to eat. It doesn't know if or when we'll be able to have this specific food that we're eating again. And this mental or physical restriction, it can make us really feel out of control with our eating because we felt like we had so much control in our restriction. And so when that is paused or lost in that moment, it can really feel like everything's coming and crashing down. And I want to share that this is your body responding in a way to help keep you functioning, surviving, living, hormones functioning, brain functioning. And it's also difficult as hell to be struggling with that. The calories in versus calories out equation, there is so much 
packed into this. And I feel like I went through this very quickly in this episode. But the reason why I will never share again with my clients to practice the calories in versus calories out method is because of all of the negative associations that can come with this practice. I would argue that there are a lot more cons than pros when it comes to, you know, outweighing the benefits. And I also want to look at the bigger picture. What I share a lot with my clients is like, hey, can we pause and zoom out? What are we looking at here? And in terms of this, you know, I think it's really easy for us to zoom in and go, okay, if I'm doing calories in versus calories out, I'm going to lose weight. And you know what? That might happen. But what about when you inevitably become hungry? When you inevitably want a food that's not on your diet plan? When you inevitably have an event where you can't have control around food? What happens then? What are the tools that we have to feel safe and supported in that moment? Can we fit our lifestyle in with our diet? And on that same note, how do we feel doing that? Does that feel okay? Does that align with us? And these might be rhetorical questions. I, I can't really answer these for you. This is something that I work on with my clients to help them answer for themselves, though. And something that I found with my clients is a lot of the times the initial answer is, yes, this is what I want. Weight loss is what I need to have in order to have a healthy, happy relationship with my body and food. And after we continue to do some of this work, we start to slowly uncover that maybe food intake is not the only thing that's important to them. Maybe we start to see the relationship with food is just as, if not more important, because now it's giving them some more flexibility in their lifestyle. They're not feeling that stress or anxiety when it comes to food intake or food changing or going out of routine. We also start to find that our worth and our value isn't tied to our body isn't tied to the types of food that we're eating, how much we're eating, what our weight is, what our body looks like. There is so much more to us as people, as individuals that goes outside of diet culture. And remember the statistics from the beginning, the billions and billions of dollars that this industry is worth because it profits off of making us feel shame and guilt about ourselves. And the reason why they have so much money is because we keep coming back to them. We keep going to them for those fixes, those quick fixes, the new best diet out there, the new best supplement and product out there. And the reason why they have so much money is because none of these things work. Maybe they do in the short term, but what about the long term? So that's a lot to sit with. That is a whole fucking lot. (laughs) And it, it doesn't have to stop there either. There are so many support systems that we can look into, whether that means working with me in one-on-one sessions, if that means doing my um, self-paced group program, 
or if that means looking for someone in your area, whether that is a registered dietitian who works within eating disorders, disordered eating, and or body image, like myself, or if that is working with a like-minded therapist, because you are not alone in this. I mean, let me serve as, as just one example. I have been through calories in versus calories out using that as my sole form of trying to figure out, for lack of better words, nutrition in my relationship with food. And it's hard. It's so hard. And it doesn't always have to be that way either. We can find and and we deserve to all find a way of eating that we feel like we align with and that supports us in our lifestyle and and helps us find who we want to be. And not having it be the center of our day, our mind, controlling all of our next steps. So those were a lot of my hangry thoughts today surrounding fad diets and especially calories in versus calories out. And I hope that this provided you with some insight on this equation and I hope that this gave you a little bit more of an informed consent to see if it's something that you want or, or don't want to use. That being said, in our next episode, we are going to look more into holiday eating and how to find a balance with it all. Because I fully recognize that this time of year is tough when it comes to navigating diet talk, body image, food intake, food discussions. It is a whole is a whole lot and it can be a bitch. So I wanted to dedicate a full episode to that and we will cover it in the next episode just in time before Thanksgiving and the rest of the holiday season. I wish you all a beautiful rest of your week and please check out the show notes for additional support or links to any of the studies that we discussed today. I will see y'all in the next episode. Bye. 